0: So the companies go from looking at just the FOB price or the XWorks price to add 25, 30 other cost and risk factors. And when they do that, they see that in in many cases, they'll be more profitable uh, producing the product in the marketplace.
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing.
2: Everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm Elevate IQ. It's very rare to relate reshoring initiatives with cost savings and sales growth. It's typically the opposite. However, if you account for all the costs and risks involved with offshoring or nearshoring, including geopolitical risks, reshoring initiatives can help grow a company. In today's episode, we have our guest, Harry Moser from Reshoring Initiative, who discusses how to compute the total cost of ownership of reshoring initiatives. He also shares several stories of manufacturers where they could reduce the cost and increase sales through reshoring initiatives. Finally, he sheds light on manufacturing verticals and components that benefit most from the reshoring initiatives. Let me introduce Harry to you. Harry is the founder of the Reshoring Initiative after being president of GF Machining Solutions for 22 years. His awards include Industry Weeks, Manufacturing Hall of Fame, and his active participation in President Obama's January 11, 2012 Insourcing Forum. He is also a member of the Department of Commerce Investment Advisory Council. Harry is frequently quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, New York Times, New Yorker and USA Today and seen on Fox Business, Market Watch and other programs. Harry holds a BS and MS in Engineering from MIT and an MBA from the University of Chicago. With that, let's get to the conversation.
0: Hey, Harry. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Sam. Of
2: course. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus?
0: Sure. So I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, right across the river from New York. Ancestral area. My ancestors were the original founders of New Jersey. And the biggest thing in town was the Singer Sewing Machine Company, which my grandfather worked at. My father ran a big part of the factory. The factory was the biggest factory anywhere in the world. in any industry at the time. And I went past five years ago, 10, 20 years ago, actually, and the whole thing's gone. There's there's no Singer sewing machine made there anymore. Everything was imported. So that personal background was the motivation for my eventually founding the reshoring initiative to bring manufacturing jobs back to the US. So I grew up in, in Elizabeth, went to MIT, got uh, two degrees in engineering, eventually went to the University of Chicago, got an MBA worked in industry, starting at GE, uh, eventually ran a large machine tool company. So a company providing CNC machine tools. Company's name was uh, Charmi. Now it's called GF Machining Solutions. So we sold EDM machines and high-speed milling machines, sold them all over North America, US, Canada, Mexico, had a great job, loved the job. I was president for 25 years and we had a had a one, wonderful record. So it was. A, I've been blessed. Had a great, have a great family. The son's a professor. You know, great wife. You know, grandchildren. Everything's been very good.
2: Okay, amazing. So I definitely want to dig into your story a bit more. But before that, we have one standard question that we ask everyone, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. What does growth mean to you,
0: Harry? Oh. Uh- I've always been in, especially in sales and marketing. So for me, growth is more orders, uh, m- bigger order book, more more business. So the the company that I was delighted t- to run was, this again, was Charmi. And w- when I joined that company, we were se- maybe seventh in the industry in North America. And within about six years, we were number one. And our sales had tripled or quadrupled. So your know, growth, that's that's my definition of growth. And this is an established, solid industry. Not It wasn't a startup, uh, electronic kind of industry or software industry. So the, And then the question is, how, how did we do that? And, and when I got there, the company was a mess, heart, treated the customers horribly. And I traveled, got to know the customers, got to know the sales force, listened to them all about what their issues were. What were the problems? What did we need to do better? And I supported our team. To achieve those things, and they understood, and it worked. And uh, like I say, we sales tripled or more in uh, six, seven years. So it was a it was a, a blessing to have yeah. that growth opportunity.
2: Okay, amazing. So your mandate is to make sure that companies are doing reassuring. So can you tell me how reshoring can help with business growth?
0: Yeah, first our mandate is not to do reshoring. Okay. Our, our mandate is to bring manufacturing back. Okay. But for, for any given company, we our, our mandate would be to help them make a smarter business decision, which some of the time is reshoring, and some of the time it might be to offshore, it might be to go some to put the work somewhere else. So we're not adamant about it but were okay. objective and logical and, and measured about it. Sure. So for a U.S. company or Canadian company, thinking about reshoring, they would choose to reshore because they would be more profitable if they reshore. So what we do is help them understand all of the costs and risks associated with offshoring or, or reshoring as the case may be, but, but there's a lot more cost and risk associated with offshoring. So the companies go from, looking at just the FOB price or the Xworks price to add 25, 30 other cost and risk factors. And when they do that, they see that in, in many cases, they'll be more profitable uh, producing the product in the marketplace, in the US or in Canada, as the case may be. And when they do that, their sales grow. If they bring the work back in-house, their uh, production grows, their uh, employment grows their profitability grows and they're a better citizen they're a better the more responsible part of the community uh, you, you've probably heard of esG and the, you know corporate responsibility for the environment yeah. for society for for governance yeah. and a lot of the big companies completely ignore that when it comes to deciding to uh, keep the work in China so somewhere far away which does not support the environment or the community.
2: Okay, so you mentioned some of the comments where you said the offshoring could have a lot of cost and risks associated with that and reshoring may be more profitable. So touch on the differences of reshoring versus offshoring. If let's say we have a manufacturing or a distribution CFO who is comparing the differences between offshoring and reshoring, what would be some of those differences?
0: okay so we we would suggest that they do the calculation calculating tco total cost of ownership which yep. is a, a fairly well established methodology or definition and specifically the tco estimator is a free software online at our website that they can use they sign up they sign in they answer questions about the us source or the let's say the north american source and the foreign source and and the software does quantifies all these other costs and risks based on their input. But some of the costs and risks that about 60, 60% of companies look only at the FOB price. They they don't even look at landed cost. And so by looking only at the FOB price, they're ignoring duty, freight, packaging, uh, carrying cost of inventory, uh, travel costs, intellectual property risk, the benefit of having engineering and manufacturing close to each other in the same time zone speaking the same language able to improve the product and the process together the risks of i may have said stocking out in total we've got the, the value of a made in usa or, or made in canada label about 80% of consumers say those us consumers say they'll spend 10% or more extra for a made in usa product as opposed to a say a chinese product so you put all these together and it turns out that there's 15, 20, 25 points, like percentage points of these costs and risks that can be quantified. Now, the difficulty is that it's easy to look at the FOB price. You know, in the U.S. it's 10 and from China it's 8. That's real easy. Whereas total cost of ownership requires some assumptions, it requires some judgment, it requires gathering data from various places in the company or in the ERP system and bring them together to put them into our TCO estimator or into uh, their own if they've developed one of their own. So it's, it's, it's somewhat more work, but it produces a, a better decision and uh, is good for society. It's good for the community in which the company is based.
2: Right. So, if we look at from the CFO's perspective or from the business perspective, right, then um, obviously we all have responsibility for the society. I, I get it, but we have to make a conscious decision in terms of business profitability, right? So, if we compare the FOB price versus the landed cost, and you did mention that E or P can probably help in determining the the landed cost. And the reason why businesses might not be computing the landed cost at this point of time is because the model could be too complex. But at the same time, when you look at maintaining the ERP system or maintaining the IT system to be able to compute that, then you are going to require more manpower. You are probably going to require system and IT. So there is going to be some cost associated with that too. So do you account for that when you are calculating your TCO?:
0: Yeah I understand I, I think the costs you're talking about are minimal to to do the to do a typical TCO calculation using our system, our, our online system might take an hour the first time and maybe a half an hour the second time. Yeah so if, if we're talking about a product that's a hundred thousand dollars worth of purchase price per year or a million dollars worth, and that's insignificant I'd, I'd say not not worth calculating. But 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 it would suggest that, and in the same sense, if you're only buying $200 worth of some custom-made product from China, then you're crazy to have done that in the first place. assuming you could find a, a local source that could have made it for you. So uh, I think that's a de minimis uh, factor. But we're thinking about, but what some companies have done, there's one that we helped in Vermont called Hubberton Forge. And they took our TCO estimator that has 29 cost factors in it, and they were only buying one category apart, uh, aluminum die castings from China yeah. or from the US. And so they took our 29 factor model and said, of those 24 of them are always constant. The value of manufacturing and engineering being close to each other, the risk of stocking out, you know, all these things, all the same. And they said, okay, that's all, all of that is worth seven percent. And then they said, Here's the other factors that are important variables, the, the weight of the product, uh, obviously the price, the, the, the quantity, a few other things like that, maybe four, four or five things. And therefore, they, re, they simplified the model so that on that range of products, all of which had the 25 cost factors, cost and risk factors, essentially identical, they made it so they only had to calculate the four or five. So to further reduce the cost of the calculation they simplified the model.
2: Interesting. So you talk a lot about the TCO competition for ERP initiatives as well. And any of the ERP initiatives are going to be similar, whether you are talking about planning for the parts or doing the ERP initiative. It's the procurement initiative that you have for the company. So tell us what is involved in doing the TCO competition for ERP initiative
0: again the tco calculation is only for manufactured products so it's it's a, these hours a, as we've designed it is okay. is only for comparing two different sources of a component a product a physical thing and the data that goes into the tco estimator comes either from bunches of people's pieces of paper and spreadsheets or or where possible it comes out of the erp system
2: okay so tell us some more stories about where you have had the cases of profitability because of either reshoring or offshoring initiatives so do you have any other stories that you might be able to share
0: Yeah. so my my favorite story a couple of stories that cfos might yeah. relate to so i've got a a friend who runs a die casting shop a contract manufacturer in illinois Yep. and his one of his good customers had been buying a housing from china and the customer had a problem with the quality of the housing and and the customer's customer forced yep. the the customer to find a us source to overcome the quality problem and w- when they did that they audited the results and they found that they had cut their inventory of the component the inventory of the housing by 94%. So the because they when they were getting it from China they would get a let's say a container full of the product once every quarter maybe or because because the Chinese foundry insisted on container shipments and so they'd get huge quantities coming in and they would never know when the container was going to arrive or for sure what the quality was or what demand would be over the months in between. And so when they went to having local sourcing shipped just in time as they needed it, inventory was down by 94%. That's something any CFO can relate to. Another company happens to be in Illinois is an EMS company. They make uh, printed circuit boards and and assemblies from those circuit boards. And they uh, came to me, they they wanted to use TCO as a sales tool instead of a, a sourcing decision tool. So they they had a U.S. customer that was about to leave them and buy from a Chinese uh, competitor. The China Chinese company had offered a lower price, yeah. and so the VP of sales, uh, with my help, did the TCO calculation and showed his customer that even though his price was higher, his total cost was lower, and he credits that with being the key to winning a sixty. That's six zero million-dollar order, by helping the customer understand all the factors that would hinge on sourcing domestically or offshore.
2: Interesting story. So tell us a little bit more about, let's say, if somebody is working with vendors in China versus working in the U.S., what is involved in the process? So what are some of the cost factors that they need to be aware of? So let's say if I have the manufacturing CFO or the COO and they are trying for the new procurement that they have not done before. They are trying to offshore some of these things for the first time. So what is going to be involved in sourcing from China?
0: That's generally not the direction I go. I go the reshore way. I, I haven't studied the offshoring process as much as the reshoring process. If someone's going to offshore to China, yeah. for example, they, they want to think about one thing they should certainly think about is is their contract with that company. Yeah. So lots of cases where someone is having a product made in China and there's a an injection mold or a die casting die involved in the process. And then the company eventually decides for whatever reason to reshore, to, to to bring the work back to the US or to some other country. And they've been unable to obtain the tool because their contract with the Chinese manufacturer did not specify that they had the right eventually to to recover, recover the tool, even though they had paid for it. So there's legal system works different the ability to be flexible that way is different in China than it is here. So the companies have to be very much aware of those of those considerations. The, the there's, there's obviously advantages to China. Uh, and I mentioned China because about 40 percent of the reshoring has come from China. And the you know, the, there's there's stories about the Chinese, you know, working all night long and seven days a week and uh, how when at Foxconn, which makes most of the products for Apple, they finally got the final design, the final component or whatever they were waiting for. And they go to the dormitory and they wake up 100,000 or 10,000 people, hand them a, a bowl of rice and a cup of tea. And, and they work for 12 hours on the assembly line at midnight. And yep. in, in America or Canada, you know, that's not going to happen. If you, if you told people to get up at midnight on Saturday and Come in and start working. They'd quit. Yeah. And they'd go to work for somebody else. So, so, there's, yeah. so the Chinese are very hardworking, you know, very disciplined. So there are reasons for companies to go to China. China has the best uh, supply chain of components, especially for electronic products and some and textiles and a bunch of things where where you can get in China and you almost cannot get it anywhere else. And. If you're going to assemble a product from all those things, China makes a lot of sense, but that all of those benefits should be reflected in the FOB price. And then what we do is help the companies calculate everything other than the FOB price.
2: Okay, so let's talk about comparing China versus Canada or Mexico would you consider Mexico as reshoring as well? Or in your opinion, reshoring is going to be only either US or Canada or only the US? So talk about some of the differences between sourcing from China versus Canada versus Mexico or locally in the US.
0: Yeah. So the definition of reshoring is to produce the product once again or or again now in the country in which the product will primarily be sold. So if it's a a U.S. company, reshoring is only producing it again in the U.S. If it's a Canadian company, then in Canada. If it's a Mexican company, uh, reshoring means to produce it again in in Mexico. If if it's a U.S. company or Canadian company that have offshored the product, they're buying castings, machine parts, wire harnesses, something from China, India, somewhere else, and they choose to bring that and have it produced in Mexico – then we would call that nearshoring. So it's being produced at a nearshore rather than at the home shore, the reshore, so to speak. And, and there's been, certainly been a good trend of work to Mexico. And why is that? The Mexican wage rate today is lower than the Chinese wage rate. And the Mexicans are hardworking people and yep. they, have, they have pretty good technology, but they also have the advantage of US and Canadian technology not too far away. And for the U.S. company that's sourcing the product, Mexico, Monterey, for example, is, if you have a company in Massachusetts, Monterey is probably just about as close as California. So the distances, the time zones, et cetera, the language is quite good. The, the risk is the violence, some of these problems that are still unfortunately too common in, in Mexico. If it weren't for that, I think there'd be more work in Mexico. But our Our view is that companies should try to bring work home to their home country, wherever their company is located, when when they can, if the economics favor it. And in North America, if it does not favor that, if you cannot automate enough to get the work into Canada or the U.S., then Mexico is a a great choice. And uh, specifically, for example, from the U.S. perspective, if a product that's coming out of Mexico has about 40% U.S. content. One coming out of Canada has about 15% U.S. content. And one coming from China has 5% U.S. content. So if you can get it to Canada or Mexico, it's far better off than leaving it in China from a a national uh, perspective.
2: Okay, interesting. So let's talk about some of the manufacturing verticals. Do you recommend or do you find reshoring to be valuable across every manufacturing vertical or are there specific manufacturing verticals where reshoring is going to be slightly more beneficial so some of these examples of the manufacturing verticals are going to be let's say if you talk about the contract manufacturing or the electrical or electronics manufacturing versus the um, industrial automation so or food and beverage do you recommend reshoring for any of those verticals or there are verticals where reshoring would not make sense
0: i'll tell you where the most reshoring has happened yeah and and that is in uh, transportation equipment has yeah. has been a huge percentage maybe 30% of the total so automotive truck airplane things like that yeah. um so transportation equipment both at the OEM level and at the supplier level second is uh, electronics and electronic uh, assemblies of some kind. I think third is appliances, and then machinery, and yep. and, and and not too far down the list is uh, textile and apparel. The the, okay. the U.S. is ninety-seven percent uh, dependent on imports of uh, apparel and footwear, and that seems seem and there's a trend back, partially driven by automation that's making. It's a little more competitive to produce those things in the U.S. The, the average consumer appears to be favoring domestic consumption because of the benefits of environment and uh, sustainability and, and things like that.
2: Okay. And let's touch the same question from the the parts perspective or the component that we are sourcing either locally or from offshore. So let's say if you were to decide between different parts that you are sourcing, would you recommend any specific parts to be reshored versus the other parts that the manufacturing company may be using?
0: Most of what's actually come back has been outsourced. So purchased from other companies from Uh, either contract manufacturers like machine shops or foundries, or from sub-assembly producers like motors and pumps and and things like that, perhaps branded product. And so we see a lot of both the the contract manufacturer and the product. Uh, We see strength, especially in where the product can be automated. So if the production lends itself to automation, preferably at a higher level than what's been achieved in, in China or India. then it's possible to overcome a portion of the wage differential. So if you can get the labor cost, to- total labor cost, direct, indirect, SGNA labor, you know, get, get that whole thing. You can get that whole thing down to in the U.S. to 20% or 30% or something like that. Then the wage differential is, isn't going to make it impossible to bring to bring the product back. Perils, I'm surprised, but it's done pretty well. Uh, we see a, quite a bit of. Uh, machine parts, some foundry, some wire harness, fair amount of furniture, woodworking, things like that coming back.
2: Okay, and what is your perspective on uh, some of these geopolitical risks, especially in the last four years? As you know, uh, things have been uh, pretty shaky, right? Anytime there's going to be a change from the geopolitical perspective, that is going to change the duty. And because of that, your cost is either going to go up, uh, or it's going to come down. So that actually makes everything very uncertain in computing the TCO, in calculating your cost. So what will be your recommendation to hedge some of these geopolitical risks? And obviously, if you have the near shoring or the reshoring, in that case, your risk is going to be reduced. But geopolitical risk may have implication on your Domestic parts as well, because they are going up and down because of these geopolitical issues. So what is your perspective on that?
0: Certainly during the Trump years, things were going up and down. They were chaotic, not, yeah. not as well planned as I would have liked. Uh, we, we perceived him as having the, the right objective. He wanted to ba- balance its trade deficit, bring back millions of manufacturing jobs. So we agreed with his objectives, but not his methods. So we disagreed with tariffs on steel and aluminum with allies, Uh, but we were we're overall supportive of of most of what he did with China. But now we've got uh, President Biden. And so I've just written an article that did a report on like a report card on President Trump's performance. And he did some things well and some things poorly. Overall, he did not achieve the objective. He did not reduce the trade deficit. And that was, that's what he should have been his main objective. I critique uh, President Biden's plans. In some cases, he has the right ideas. He, he wants to bring back 5 million manufacturing jobs, just like we do, exactly the same number. He recognizes uh, that a skilled workforce can be an important part of it. He's, he's pushing for apprentice programs and things like that. But he does not understand the underlying problem because the, the underlying problem is that the, uh, it does not appear to at least, the, the underlying problem is that the U.S. manufacturing cost is about 20% higher than Europe and about 40% higher than China. And the best way to overcome that is to get the dollar, U.S. dollar down by about 20%. And so far, uh, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen has said that they're for a strong dollar. And they're not going to do anything to make the U.S. competitive that way. And that's the that's the single best way to do it, the fastest way to do it. The, the other ways to do it are, are a immensely better skilled workforce to have an apprentice program like Germany's, which goes against the, the U.S. tradition of everybody going on to university and studying, you know, liberal arts things you know, whether there's a job for them or not when they get done. So they so we recommend a lower dollar. Huge shift of resources from liberal arts university to engineering and, and the technical apprentice programs, probably having a value added tax like most countries do, and and we have a series of other programs like that that would uh, we, we'd like we we'd recommend getting the U.S. medical costs we spend down we spend about seventeen percent of GDP on it. Germany spends ten or twelve if we could and gives just as good results. If we get it down to the German level, benefit cost in the U.S. to the manufacturer would come down and U.S. manufacturing costs would drop by 5% just because of that, which would bring about 400,000 manufacturing jobs back to the U.S.
2: Okay. So let's talk about some of the resources that manufacturing executives can utilize if they are exploring resourcing initiatives. Do you have any, any resources that you would like to recommend them?
0: Sure. Well, of course, the first one I've mentioned a couple of times is the TCO yep. estimator yep. to help them make a more objective decision when they're sourcing or citing a plant. And it's free online at uh, www.reshornow.org, TCO estimator, and free to use. Go, go ahead and use it. It's also, as I mentioned, usable for the sales team to convince the customer to to make a smarter, more objective decision. That's the first, the the, the free tool. Then we have Paid services, the, the, the most obvious of which is the import substitution program. So a, a, a company, U.S. or Canada, can identify a product they're really good at making, a certain kind of shaft or a, a casting or a wire harness, or a chemical, or some, something that they're one of the best in North America at making. And we can tell them who the biggest importers are of those products, what tonnage they're bringing in, whom they're buying them from offshore, and roughly what they're paying for that product. And then we train the company to use the TCO estimator to go to those importers and convince some, 10, 20% maybe, convince some of them to source from our client company instead of continuing to source from offshore. That's the import substitution program, again, identified under resources on our website.
2: Okay, amazing. So that's it for today. Harry, do you have any last minute closing thoughts by any
0: chance? We work in the US directly with companies. And we work through MEPs, Manufacturing Extension Partnerships, which is one in every state connected to the state and to the US Commerce Department. We work through economic developers, all those things in the US. In Canada, uh, we've done some consulting work with Investissement Quebec. And we have had discussions with uh, Ontario and some of the other provinces. So the, uh, we're, we're delighted to hear from U.S. companies or Canadian or Mexican companies uh, and do our best to help all of them bring as much as possible back to North America.
2: Right, amazing. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Really appreciate your time. This has been an insightful discussion.
0: Thank you, Sam. It was a pleasure.
2: I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully... You learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Harry or reshoring initiatives, head over to reshorenow.org. It's R-E-S-H-O-R-E-N-O-W.org. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Max Krug, who discusses what actions businesses need to take if they encounter product quality or business performance issues. Also, the interview with Ian Pratt, who discusses how to distinguish between the need for additional resources and operational bottlenecks that need to be optimized before investing further. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help.